on the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer, chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone that lots of other people feel in that way and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligam, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti? Fis Turmi. Tashe Dukrecha Nach Vetok Ara Igornamyan on Kestin Echol. Vientalamaginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum. Yatakshetarin Griven Orkarstan Ilistuhalagiskimina Fracht Gorokligsar Dukashenecher. Nani Venaun Dardarakshin Ven Marav. Shachtan. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. You're listening to the Indo Daily, but first. When I got out to the Wicklow Mountains, when I came to the end of the line, I I felt this sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I'm Nicola Tallent, and every week you can hear stories about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld on my podcast, Crime World. This was a stitch-up from start to end. I talk to those who get up close and personal with gangsters, mobsters and notorious criminals. They have taught in every conceivable way of disguising cocaine. Crime World is available wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, tensions over Ukraine. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and in recent days, we've had wall to wall coverage of the Russian government placing over 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border. Closer to home, we're hearing about naval exercises planned by Russia off the southwest coast of Ireland. Now, Russia has accused the West of hysteria. But are we right to be concerned? Well, today I'm joined by Ronan Goggin, who for six years worked for the European Union advisory mission Ukraine and Declan Power, security defence analyst. Declan Power, can you perhaps tell us exactly what is going on in relation to Ukraine and Russia, please? Well, this is this current uh, episode is just that it is an episode in a, an unfolding series of confrontations uh, between Ukraine and Russia, and indeed between the West and Russia. Uh, that you, you could argue it starts going back to the end of uh, the Soviet Union when the uh, states, the Baltic states and Ukraine declared independence. And there was a period uh, of trying to manage that reality with the new Russia, where there was a rapprochement between Russia and the West, particularly Russia and NATO, where there was an agreement uh, that those the, the security of those states would be guaranteed by both blocs, by the Russians and by NATO in a, in a sort of an agreed stance. And that was Russia simply trying to hold on to territory it considered to belong to it. And you've got to, to understand this, you've got to understand that despite having been communists, the Russians are essentially imperialists. And that their attitude to the Baltic states and Ukraine was very much one of this is our territory. And while they became independent, they thought like a lot of colonial powers that those states would be both economically 
directly and politically dependent on Russia and would be very much within their sphere of influence. However, what happened was all of those states, at the first chance they got, ran directly towards the West and wanted to engage in as much rapprochement uh, with the West as they could. And that included joining both uh, NATO and the European Union uh, when, whenever the opportunities arose. Uh, the Russians did not like this and they accused the, the, the West and particularly NATO of you know, encroaching into its territory. And uh, this reached climax when the Ukraine started to uh, create further linkages with, uh, with Western Europe uh, and talked about wanting to join the European Union and NATO. And it was at that point then, what brings us up to 2014, where the Russians had been engaging in covert activity to interfere with the politics of uh, the, uh, the Baltic states and Ukraine. Some of your uh, some of your audience may remember in 2007, the Estonians suffered a very severe cyber attack that paralyzed particularly their capital city, Tallinn, as a result of uh, arguments they were having with the Russians about uh, siting of pipelines and uh, energy transiting through their territory. Uh, so the Russians were starting to demonstrate a pattern of bullying activity that was uh, covert uh, or certainly couldn't be directly traced. And they were starting to develop what is now called hybrid warfare, where it was uh, engaging in belligerent acts that weren't necessarily military, or if they were military, couldn't be directly traced to them. In 2014, uh, they annexed Crimea, a part of the Ukraine that the Russians claimed was ethnically uh, theirs and that should always have been part of their state. That's the Russian side of it. Uh, the Ukrainians didn't see it that way. It was an invasion of a sovereign uh, country's territory, uh, but they didn't do it as a declared Russian force. So it meant that mistakes could happen. And, that's, and so you saw an escalation of tension, of combat, and this, un, this kind of became undulating uh, for a period. Uh, it would ratchet up in tension, and then things would become stable. But there was a constant state of combat uh, in this area, the Donbass region would be one of the, the worst hit regions. And it, you have a situation now where you have Ukrainian citizens living in areas that are in Ukrainian soil, but are controlled by uh, those sympathetic to uh, the Russian uh, side of things. Ethnic Russians uh, with support from Russian forces controlling Ukrainian territory. And this is where we are at the moment, except that in the last number of months, to add to that tension and that undulating conflict, the Russians stepped things up. As we film near the fence, a Russian border patrol passed nearby. The two sides are that close. Well, it, put it, in, puts it in perspective how close we are to Russia, because that is the Russian border security uh, patrolling. Um, we've been with the Ukrainian side, and there they are. And both sides right next to each other, as you can see. You didn't expect to see them, I have to be honest. But uh, the Ukrainians say that they do the same job as them and they do see each other quite often. Of course, not with this sort of underlying tension uh, that uh, the world is seeing right now. I know the Russian government are accusing the West of this kind of mass hysteria now in relation to what's happening at the border. But essentially, Russia has placed over 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border. And it does seem like a very significant development. 
it's a significant ratcheting up of tension. And just to be clear, you've seen, so against the backdrop of all that I've been saying about the, the mixture of conventional, unconventional warfare, the, the hybrid warfare, the annexation of, of Crimea, the, the continuing combat, suddenly then you have this huge number of regular troops uh, with all the support mechanisms uh, deployed along the border with Ukraine. And then uh, more recently, a deployment of troops into Belarus. So uh, Russian regular forces have moved into Belarus, which means Russia could launch an invasion into Ukraine, an all-arms uh, conventional invasion into Ukraine from the north, from the east, and from the south. Uh, now, having said that, it's unlikely the Russians would do that directly because it would be an intense provocation to the West. Uh, they're, they're flexing a lot of muscle here, and they're, they're looking to create justifications. You can now see with that backdrop, you can have a greater understanding as to now we can see why these Russian naval exercises are happening, not just off the coast of Ireland uh, next week, but in different parts of the world. The Russians are now showing that if you're deploying right up to the edge of our territory, in our backyard, so to speak, we're going to deploy into your backyard. And we're also going to show not just military power, but by doing this, we are going to sow seeds of dissent, distrust, uh, you know, distrust with citizens and their governments uh, and policies and create confusion and disarray. And in effect, that's why they would have picked uh, the uh, deploying in the economic zone off the coast of, of Ireland, because they know that's one of the weak points, not just uh, physically from a military point of view, but politically and, and even philosophically, because you know, Ireland half the time aren't too sure. Uh, they, we, we know which side we're on. Let's, let's be clear about that. We're leading members of the European Union. Our foreign minister has, has uh, you know, condemned the Russians doing what they're doing. But the point is, what happens? What would happen if the Russians decided to come in and park in our territorial waters? Um, I'll be briefing my colleagues today on a notification that Ireland has received uh, from Russia in recent days uh, that they intend to, to undertake military exercises uh, about 240 kilometres off the Irish southwest coast. Um, that is in international waters, uh, but it is also part of the exclusive economic zone of Ireland. Um, and so we don't have a power to prevent this happening. Uh, but certainly I've made it clear to the Russian ambassador in Ireland that it's not welcome. Uh, this isn't a time uh, to increase uh, military activity and tension uh, in the context of, of what's happening uh, uh, with and in Ukraine at the moment. Should we be worried about these naval exercises or and it's purely coincidental it's now happening at a time when you have all these troops on the border with Ukraine? Or is it far more serious? Is it is it sinister, do you think? Yes, it's sinister and it is serious. Uh, I don't think it's going to uh, result in war uh, on the basis that I think Putin is too smart for that. I think he's likely to engage in some sort of an incursion in further into Ukrainian territory or maybe a deployment of regular forces into what is already effectively Russian-controlled territory within Ukraine and uh, claim that there was, uh, you know, set up some sort of a false flag attack maybe on ethnic Russians or on his forces to justify it. And there'll be a bit of further uh, standoff and uh, sanctions will probably apply. And he'll make his point. However, what the, where the real danger lies is when you this amount of forces and munitions being moved around very sensitive areas, the potential for mistakes to happen 
for some uh, commanding officer to get a, a, a garbled message, for some individual soldier to press the wrong button or to uh, somebody to make a, a decision as happened with the uh, downing of the Malaysian airliner in 2014. The potential for a screw-up is, is very high. And that's where the real danger lies. And I know we're discussing this from your know, broader policy perspective, but in my own perspective, when I've been in the field on overseas missions, you know, peacekeeping missions, peace enforcement missions, uh, oftentimes things would escalate through confusion, through a uh, lack of uh, ability to communicate effectively between different sides. And that's that's where we are. And I think anybody who is claiming that this is somehow normal and or, you know, in, the Russians are entitled to do what they're doing or that it's not unusual and we shouldn't be concerned about it is, is either extremely foolish and ignorant of the realities or have an agenda of some sort. And this is another aspect of, of this as well. Uh, it's not purely about just projecting military power. By doing what they're doing, uh, the Russians, whether it's entering Irish airspace or this naval deployment, they're seeking to sow seeds of disarray and dissent. And this has been followed up. Their propaganda operations are being very effective. And they, what they want to see, uh, their objective out of some of this, isn't a, necessarily a physical objective. It's um, one of seeing uh, cracks in the uh, resilience and the, uh, the resolve of the European Union and how they would respond to it. We also need to get over the message that invading Ukraine from a, from a Russian perspective is going to be a painful, violent, and bloody business. Any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion. But it will be met with severe and coordinated economic response that I've discussed in detail with our allies, as well as laid out very clearly for President Putin. Uh, and I think there are two very clear messages. Uh, that EU foreign ministers will want to get across today. First of all, um, a clear message and ask of Russia to defuse tension uh, uh, in the context of their activities on the borders of Ukraine uh, and to give reassurance to the rest of the world uh, in terms of their intentions. Um, and then secondly, uh, I think a, a strong message of unity uh, from the EU uh, that should Russia decide to invade Ukraine militarily, uh, that there would be very severe consequences of that action. Ronan Goggin, you've lived in uh, Ukraine for over 10 years. Can you give us a little bit of insight into what life is like there? Because really, we don't actually know a, an awful lot about the country. Hi, Siobhan. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, well, I, I first went to... Ukraine at the end of 2010. Um, I, I, I've worked for international organizations, mainly UN and EU missions, and a job took me first to southern Ukraine, to Odessa at the end of 2010, where I stayed for three years, uh, mm -hmm. then left at the end of 2013, uh, right before the Maidan revolution kicked off. Uh, most Irish people would probably remember that. Um, I, I, I then left, not expecting to return, but in the meantime, as part of increased EU and international activity inside Ukraine, the EU established uh, a mission to support reforms in the country, uh, which was kind of an answer to what happened at Maidan. Can you give me an insight into that revolution? 
that kicked off at the end of November 2013. Um, it, you know, again, it happened quite quickly and it happened on the back of the former president of Ukraine, Yanukovych, who would have been aligned with Putin in Russia. It, it came on the back of his decision to back out of a trade agreement with the, with the European Union and instead indicate that he would join a customs union with Russia and Kazakhstan. Um, Russia has a parallel trade, regional trade pact with countries in the Russian sphere. Um, this, at the time, this came as a shock to the Ukrainian people. And that was the trigger for demonstrations in Kyiv, which through the winter grew and became uh, became more dangerous and violent and led to uh, the killing of about 100 demonstrators in, I think it was February 2014. Um, and that led to the, to the toppling of President Yanukovych. And tell me, Ronan, is there much of a, a Soviet influence still there? Because if you listen to the Russians in the current debate, they, you know, they're giving the world an indication that there is some kind of uh, segmentation, fragmentation going on within Ukraine that will support uh, Russian troops coming in. But then you listen to countries like the UK or the US and they're saying absolutely not, that Ukraine does not want to be have any anything to do with with Russia anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, to give some context, Siobhan, Ukraine is a very regionalized country. So there's certain parts of Ukraine that where the population would have some feeling or affiliation or um, grow, let's say, for Russia. Um, I mean, largely those are places like Donbass and Crimea, uh, which are, you know, occupied or occupied by proxy now. But in most of Ukraine, uh, no, especially in the past eight years, and particularly in the capital, Kiev, for example, there's absolutely no public appetite or feeling of support for Russia or Putin's Russia or certainly anything that would threaten to um, influence Ukraine or overtake the country in a military military sense or any other sense. Uh, from a political point of view, no, I, I, I think it's not correct to say that, um, you know, a, a large number of Ukrainians support Russia in that sense. Mm -hmm. But we, you have to distinguish between language and culture and politics as well. For example, my wife's family are a typical Kiev family. Um, my father-in-law fought with the Soviet army in Afghanistan in the 80s. Um, yeah. He is Russian-speaking. Like many Kiev families, they're Russian-speaking. But then again, most Irish people are English-speaking. We're often given an impression of countries we don't fully understand or, or hear or see enough about that. Oh, gosh, you know, well, their supermarkets are very different to Western supermarkets. You know, there's you're not getting the the level of choice you might have over here. Um, you know, that that uh, the kind of news feed might be um, dictated in a certain way. But that's not the issue with Ukraine at all, is it? No, you know, like any new place you go, some things are the same and, and some things are different. Um, it, most Ukrainian people still, uh, even though officially Russian media and TV is outlawed now, 
in Ukraine. Uh, people have access to it. So th- there's still a very strong cultural crossover between Russia and Ukraine. It's like us in the UK, you know, remember yeah. back in the 80s and 90s where we used to be able to sneak uh, UK TV uh, in Ireland, you know, there's, we, we know, we knew what was going on in the UK. The Ukraine knows what's going on in Russia. There is a strong connections and overlap between the two countries. Um, but, uh, it, it, like, it, yeah, it, Ukraine has its shopping malls and its supermarkets broadly similar to what we have. But I mean, there's local nuances as well. It's, I mean, I think you're very struck when you go there that you're entering into a different cultural historical space and the legacy of what Ukraine has gone through in recent decades and before that is really evident in the air and the atmosphere there and in the buildings, like in the architecture, you can see the the story of the country um, being told in that sense alone. Um, and again, you know, it's it's not one thing or the other. It's a mixture of different influences. And the Russian influence, of course, is um, is really prominent. And, um, you, you know, you wouldn't want to rush to dismiss that either. So while Ukrainian people would be broadly um, uh, look towards Europe and the West, they would do so in a cultural lifestyle sense because because they want a better life. Uh, and they would look to the West rather than to Russia. But that's not a political statement. And that doesn't mean they're Russia haters or anything like that. Ronan, I'm I'm quite keen. I know that you have, um, you know, you said your wife is Ukrainian and you have you have uh, a daughter. In terms of the the kind of mood now, and and actually, I I think you and your family being outside of Ukraine probably have a very good idea of of um, you know the way we're seeing it on one side of the world and how it's being viewed within Ukraine. What is the the, the mood of the nation? Well, I, I spoke to my mother-in-law just an hour ago, actually, and like they're very stoic, uh, tough, uh, rational, pragmatic kind of people who, because of, uh, for historical reasons, really live, and because of current political corruption issues as well, they really live their lives day to day, right? So although I would say there's apprehension and concern over what's going on at the moment, particularly this week, as things seem to be ramped up in terms of if you look at the media in a way. Um, so while there's there might be that concern, like I think most Ukrainian people will be getting on with their day to day stuff um, in as normal a way as possible until like, excuse my language, until the shit really hits the fan. Yeah, um, I I. I think they they'll be quite measured in how they're feeling. Um, they've gone, you know, it's not the first time Russia has, you know, sent troops to a border. The Ukraine is already surrounded on several sides by Russian military. Um, the country ex- went through um, a revolution eight years ago. Uh, it's gone through a lot more prior to that. So I, I don't think they'll be panicking. Um, until such time as something really happens. And I think the expectation is that Russia would not send troops full on over the border, uh, you know, and certainly not move towards Kiev. I think I think most people agree that that would be um, 
um, that would be a damaging thing for Russia to do and people don't really expect that. But who knows? I mean, they're very, I mean, my mother-in-law said, we're, we're in the dark on this. We don't know what's going to happen. My thanks there to Ronan Goggin. And earlier we heard from Declan Power, security and defence analyst. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's Indo Daily was presented and produced by myself. Research by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips with thanks to independent.ie. RTE, the BBC and Sky News. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.